Welcome back to our podcast and today we're going to be talking about fusion and fission and more things that can happen to atoms to transform them in some way. Transmutation is pretty much only done in the lab. It's honestly very similar to other types of decay. It's just kind of a specific category or type of it. So if you kind of like bombard an atom with like an alpha particle or something, that'll cause the uh, the subatomic particles in the nucleus to kind of rearrange in a way and they'll go from one atom to another and then they'll eject some type of byproduct, typically like a proton or a neutron. So if an extra atom was hit with an alpha particle, it might, you know, an alpha particle as we talked about last time is basically a helium atom so it has two protons. So it will absorb that and then maybe it will eject one of those protons. So it will gain the three, the two neutrons and it'll keep one of those protons and eject another one. So it'll go from nitrogen to oxygen. Yeah, so that's interesting. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very simple, a lot very similar to, um, I guess, fusion in a way. Um, it's only really different in that it's typically, you have some medium or smaller um, atom, and then you take a small particle and hit it with that. And that's just kind of used in the lab to kind of create different different elements. Fusion, we'll just segue into that. Um, fusion is really, really interesting, actually. Um, good example of it is, you know, like what's done in the stars, it's how stars are fueled. Um, so you have, you know, it's done with two smaller nuclei, so two small atoms, and they'll combine into one. So typically in stars, like the sun, you have hydrogen um, spinning around or flying around in like really, really extreme, extreme temperatures, like, yeah, like temperatures and pressure, like it is really extreme because what you have, you basically have like protons flying around and a single proton is like a hydrogen atom or ion and then they will bump into each other with such force because they're at such a high temperature um, or pressure and they'll just kind of their their nuclei will fuse together and they'll be attracted to each other in different terms than um, electromagnetic charge and they will form helium just visualizing that is a lot because you have something that's heated up so much and it's at such a high pressure that they're slamming into each other to create another atom. Yeah, and it doesn't really make sense if you think about it because they're both positively charged and they should repel each other. And yet, given the extremes, they're able to have enough force where they can actually join and bind together and they release so much energy when they do this uh, which is why it's actually really one of like the 
I guess. Something that's been theorized a very long time ago. Uh, when they kind of discovered fit fusion, they kind of half discovered it, half theorized it. It's very weird in terms of how fusion became a known thing. Um, is they kind of thought it would be a really good method of clean energy because it releases so much energy. If you can capture that energy, you would have, it just, it doesn't compare to fossil fuels or even nuclear energy with sodium, which we'll talk about later. But like that would be the ideal way to get energy because it would give us so much. The problem is, is that it requires so much extremes really really hard to replicate and we have some like theoretical ideas of cold fusion which is where you fuse atoms around room temperature but it requires so much energy and it requires just all these extremes that it's really hard to replicate in the lab but if we can get there one day which the hope is we'll be able to that's just that that's the ideal dream yeah that'd be great it'd be like all the energy we'd ever need but you have to keep it you have to get it to those high pressures and all that, and you have to maintain it there too so it can keep happening. Mm-hmm. But I think one day it one happen. day, that's hopefully some, some really smart person will come along and be able to figure out how to make that work. Um, yeah. For the meantime, all we really have is fission in terms of nuclear energy and that such. Um, nuclear fission is my, my little happy place in chemistry. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> um, I don't want to talk too long about fission, but it, it's, it's, it's my happy place. So <laughs> you might have to cut me off. <laughs> um, so we currently have for like nuclear energy and nuclear reactors is nuclear fission which is the process of when you have a large element. So fission and fusion are basically opposites. People get them confused all the time because they sound so similar. And as a person who loves fission and the story behind the discovery of it, it makes me a little sad. <laughs> um, no, fusion is two small atoms joining to make one, and fission is one breaking apart. Um, so. It happens with typically uranium-235, um, a very unstable isotope of uranium that is hit with a neutron, and that neutron will cause the subatomic particles in the nucleus to rearrange in such a way that it becomes very unstable. It's, it's, it's fun things happen, um, and it starts to kind of pull apart from itself, and eventually you kind of forms itself in such a way that it, it has a little, it kind of has two, it's really hard to explain this verbally. Um, no, it, like, it gets like a waste, so it has like two kind of bulbous things to it. <laughs> it's very hard to explain. Um, but that will cause the protons themselves to kind of repel each other because you have this high concentration of protons on one side and high concentration on the other side and then this this smaller area. So they release, so they repel each other and release this large amount of energy. Um, the number is like 
200 million electron volts per atom, which is actually a very small amount of energy, but it is enough to make a grain of sand visibly jump. And that is from a singular atom. I mean, you think about that, because atoms are so small and they, like, just that they're able to make that much energy by splitting apart is really cool. Yeah, so it releases a ton of energy. And in nuclear reactors, that heats up, that energy causes heat, they heat up water, and then that water, like, turns to steam and it turns a turbine and we can then generate energy from it and they there's a lot of controversy over whether nuclear reactors are you know really really you know worth like they're, they're designated as clean energy but they do create radioactive waste that's the problem with nuclear fission or why we want to use fusion instead is because in fission it releases a large quantity of energy. It's easy to cause uranium atoms or plutonium atoms to fission, but it, then it does create, you need radioactive isotopes and you need radi- it creates radioactive waste. So, and then there's also the problem of you can make atomic bombs out of uranium and plutonium and nuclear fission since it releases a large quantity of energy. Yeah. So if you get an accident, things can blow up. Um, yeah, they kind of, if you do fusion instead, you create even more energy because it releases even more than fusion, fission, and it doesn't create a waste product except your product of yeah, like the, the heavier atom. atom, which is typically could be useful or applied in some other form and not sit in a bin and decay. <laughs> but what we have currently and I don't want to get into the whole debate I have my own personal opinions and and things um nuclear fission is really cool um but (laughs) the story behind nuclear fission honestly what got me into chemistry and science in general because it is so freaking good (laughs) I don't know how much I should geek out about it, but <laughs> <laughs> let me just say this because honestly, it's really interesting and it's really sad, but in a good way, but also not. It's like your perfect scientific betrayal. Like it is the drama behind it is amazing, but it's, it's just, it's a beautiful story. This is making me really confused and also excited at the same time. <laughs> so, story begins in um, Vienna, Austria. There is this female Jewish scientist. Her name is Lisa Meitner. And she was born to a pretty wealthy Jewish family. Um, women weren't really allowed to get any secondary education, but her father was a pretty nice guy and he wanted all of his daughters to have the same opportunities and level of education as his sons. So she received private tutoring and she ended up uh, taking the test and was able to 
get high enough marks to be able to attend the University of Vienna. She became the second woman there to ever receive her doctorate. She got it in nuclear physics or physics, I think just physics. Um, but in Austria, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for scientists in general. A lot of Austrian scientists ended up going to Germany. Um, and the fact that Lisa Meitner was a woman, she also could pretty much only teach, even though she had a doctorate in physics. So she ended up being invited um, by Max Planck, who was our quantum physics guy. We talked about him. I think we talked about Bohr as well. Yeah. Um, she was invited to work as his assistant. Um, didn't really work for pay there, but she had a job and she was able to do uh, do science and physics and helped him with his work in quantum theory. And she was in Berlin, Germany. And this is about the early 1900s. Um, she ends up going somewhere else. She She's still in Berlin, but she's working with Otto Hahn. And they're doing research on isotopes and radioactivity. And they really hit it off, the two of them. They're, Han was already married, but there is some skepticism that there was some romantic like stuff involved with them. And you'll see why in a bit. Um, but they were really good friends, really good colleagues. And they did work, they discovered element, um, 91, which is protectinium, and they were actually both nominated to get the Nobel Prize in chemistry for it. They didn't ever get it for that, but they were nominated, and Niels Bohr actually was a big advocate of them getting the Nobel Prize in that as well. Fun fact, though, Lisa Meitner wasn't actually allowed to work at that area, like, because they didn't want women in the chemistry department to have jobs there. But Otto Hahn was like, oh, no, 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 Lisa Meitner, she's, she's, she's a really smart physicist, we need her. So they set up this abandoned woods workshop, and they created it into a lab, and she was only allowed to enter in the back. But Otto Hahn was like, we need her, she's really, really good. Um, now, bear in mind, in like the 1900s, and Lisa Meitner is technically Jewish according to German law. And what happens in the 20s and the 30s is you start to get the rise of Hitler and the Nazis. No Things don't that. really, they don't really go too good for Lisa Meitner. So, um, she basically says, hey, I'm technically from Austria, so while I'm living in Germany, your laws don't apply to me because I'm Austrian. And that works for a while. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that's going to work for long, but I mean, it could work for a while. It, it worked for a bit until uh, until Germany decides to annex Austria, and Austria becomes part of German uh, territory. So she says, okay, well, this is nice. Um, I'm going to leave. And um, Germany had done pass these laws. They said physicists or scientists in general, they, they can't leave or collaborate with anyone outside of Germany. So Otto Hahn and a few of his friends are like, okay, you need to leave. So they prepare this secret meeting, secret travel out for her, for her to flee and to go to Stockholm, Sweden. And the 
this is the part where I said there's if this is a some romantic thing because Otto Hahn is like you're leaving and we don't know what's going to happen and just in case something goes terrible while you're leaving here's this heirloom of a diamond ring just in case you need to bribe a guard you take it and she ends up never needing it which is that's so lucky. The fact that he gave her a, the heirloom to a, of a diamond ring is like, if, just in case you need it, he says his exact words were, I just wanted to make sure she was like provided for in case of an emergency. I think you're pretty well provided it's, with the diamond ring. <laughs> they really, really, they, they were really close and really cared for each other. Um, so anyways, she goes to Stockholm, Sweden. She's all fine and dandy. Otto Hahn, he gets some replacement scientist dudes for her place. They collaborate in secret a little bit, writing letters and such. Um, but technically, he helped a Jewish person escape Nazi Germany. He shouldn't, they shouldn't, that, that, that's bad according to German law. Otto Hahn, it's around Christmas time in December. And Otto Hahn is, um, playing around with, you know, uranium, as one does, throwing neutrons at it, just, you know, having some fun science time. And he looks at the results and he's like, that's funny. This is uranium and I'm throwing neutrons at it. He expected it to kind of decay a little bit, like become a transuranic element. So it would be, it, it would get heavier. And he was like, that's funny. This uranium looks like barium, which is element 56. Or fi yeah, 56. Uranium is element 92. How the heck does that happen? So what he does is he writes to Lisa Nightmare and he's like, hey, can you provide some kind of some type of explanation for this? Lisa Meitner gets it on like Christmas Eve. And her nephew is also a nuclear physicist. He's visiting her. They go for a walk in the snow talking about this phenomenon what's going on and they're like well you know what what if the atom splits apart in two basically they theorize nuclear fission in the walk in the snow they do the math and they're like it 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 works like everything checks out they're really happy they're like oh my god we just with this incredible discovery the atom can split into two and it can really it releases this energy like everything it was working out she writes back to Otto Hahn Otto Hahn looks at it, he goes oh my god this is great he publishes the article does never mentions Lisa Meitner I was gonna say does he do that <laughs> disappointing he never, yeah he never mentions her and then in 1944 he gets a Nobel Prize in chemistry for the discovery of nuclear fission Lisa Meitner gets nothing. Not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Even better, after that discovery of nuclear fission, they decide in America, we're going to make an atomic bomb. Lisa Meitner's, her big contribution to science is credited to some other person. Now, of course, it's what she's recognizing the discoverer now. She even has element 109 named after her. 
might Miriam, but in her lifetime, her best friend and colleague gets the credit for her work and her main contribution to science as well ends up becoming a weapon of mass destruction. Yeah, I wonder how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> so, incredibly sad story, but... Did he just decide not to give her any credit or was it partially because he helped her okay. leave Germany? Well, actually, when he asked her for, for an explanation, he wrote in the letter basically saying um, the three of us referring to him, his replacement to her when she left for the lab, and Lisa Meitner herself would share the credit in it. They would both be credited with this discovery, and then he never did. However, you do have to realize that World War II was still going on, and he did kind of help a Jewish person and collaborate with a Jewish person according to Nazi law. He helped her escape and collaborate with her, which he wasn't supposed to do. So for the safety of his own family and himself, it would have been best for him to admit that. But still, even in his Nobel Prize acceptance speech, never mentioned her. That's a little disappointing. I keep saying disappointing, <laughs> but it's just disappointing. Anyhow, fun times. Nuclear fission, uh, because of that story, it just, Lisa Meitner is so incredibly unfortunate in her life, but she kept her values everything the same. And even when, like, they created, um, made the atomic bomb, they did something and, like, asked for her help, but she was very adamant in not being a part of it. She was very against it. Um, on her tombstone, it reads, like, the scientist who never lost her humanity. She was like, even even her nephew, Otto Frisch, ended up working on the Manhattan Project. Otto Hahn actually ended up working in the German effort to make an atomic bomb. They didn't get very far in Germany. It's karma. But, yeah, it's very, it's a very tragic story, but honestly, for the discovery of nuclear fission, it makes sense. <laughs> so that was a bit of a um, very long history tangent, but knowing, if you know me at all, I will, I will talk for hours about Lisa Meitner and nuclear fission. So, um... <laughs> So discovering this really helped lead to a lot of other discoveries like atomic theory and it really affected what we know now. It also helped with the atomic bomb, obviously, which is arguably not a good thing. In terms of warfare, it helped in air quotes, um, but it also led to like the atomic age and Cold War and everything. Um, but it, it's 
it's very interesting because these discoveries, a lot of them, like especially fission, it showed you what we can do, what science is capable of. And a lot of it is we then have to challenge the science versus the humanity. So it is possible, and we know that. But then you have to use humanity and determine, is it something that we should do? Or should we, like, yes, we can, like, with fission, yes, we can use it to make an atomic bomb, but we can also use it to have cleaner energy. Um, and, you know, there are still cons of that energy, like the waste and everything. So then you can think of things like fusion and knowing our science. Is there a way we can harness that ability ourselves? Um, so that's kind of an application aspect to it. Um, in terms of, in terms of building our atomic theory, um, it really just shows you how, maybe going back to J.J. Thompson again, or Dalton, we thought it was this indestructible piece of matter, and now you can see Like again, it's made up of these subatomic particles, and thus, while it has this condensed nucleus, it's still very, I want to say flexible, but that's not the right word. It's man able to be manipulated, I guess. I don't, <laughs> the lengthy way to say it, but you can do, the atoms, there's so much that you can do with it. Um, it's not just the building blocks of matter. I mean, it is, but if you understand how the atom is made, how it can be manipulated, manipulated, how it, just the pieces of it, that shows you what is possible in the universe and with matter. Thank you for listening to our podcast and join us next week where we'll be discussing the periodic table and the different groups in it and the differences and similarities between those groups.